Good evening, Calvary. How's everybody doing tonight? Oh, we can do better than that. Come on. You guys are like, yeah, we're great. It's a new year. We're alive. Jesus is coming soon, man. All right. That's much better. Okay. All right. Open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, please. Anybody be able to uh, see on uh, Hope FM at 3 o'clock? They, got, they actually already got the book of Revelation up there. So if you've been looking to listen on the radio at 3 p.m. on Hope FM, they've got it up there. And then I believe the book we're praying about, but I believe the book we're going to do right after that is the book of Acts. So we'll have it. The timing is going to be just amazing. So praying about that. Be praying for our community, for those that are in this you know, area, for them to hear the word of God, for it to penetrate the heart, transform the heart. That's our desire, isn't it? That all the lost would hear the, the word of God and the hope that lies within us. Well, we've been waking our way through Leviticus and uh, it's awesome. God's word is so faithful. I mean, as we're looking at chapter 22 tonight, uh, we'll probably go through chapter 22 and 23. We left off looking in chapter 21 at the regulations of the priests. Specifically, God was speaking to the priests about um, this holiness that he desires, that the priests, the sons of Aaron, that they were not to defile themselves, not only with just obviously dead things like that, but specifically even marriage. Um, there, you know, God was so specific on what he was looking. It wasn't just any man uh, marrying, you know, this priest marrying any woman. It, it had to deal with this unique purity and a unique calling. So now we're moving into you know, chapter 22, and as the Lord continues to show us where we're not going to miss Jesus Christ through any of this here, but he says again, and I, I've, if you remember, I've been saying to you guys, whenever we start a new chapter or even midsection in the book of Leviticus, specifically, um, whenever you see the Lord start a new section, it says the Lord spoke to, right, Moses or Aaron or the children of Israel. You'll see that in each, because remember, the idea of where we do the chapter breaks didn't exist, that's man-made. That was not in God's original manuscript or autograph that way. That's, that's a way for the priests at the time or uh, those that were transcribing to turn around and be able to make sure the word count matched at the end. You know, that's how they did it when they would, they would do the writing. They would say, okay, verse 1, there's the Lord spoke to Moses saying, right, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Let's just say seven words. They would have a check sum right at the end of each verse to make sure that they matched up. So that they knew that they didn't miss a word or they didn't and they actually did it by the letter, actually, not even by the word, if you want to be accurate and specific. So, I mean, a lot went into this. So, free information, not sure how that's going to help you right now. But as we go into chapter 22 here, verse 1, it's important again, the Lord spoke to Moses Again, speaking to Aaron and his son, saying, let's pray with that. Father God, we come here before you, Lord, in this new year. Oh, God, Lord, the, you, you couldn't have timed this any better in the passage that you have us in here, chapter 22. And then, Lord, as we go into chapter 23, we, we look at the calendar, Lord, the feast days. And, God, how you've gone so far before us to show us these signs and the times that we're living, the last days, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would see all that you have for us. We would know that your coming is soon and very soon. Lord, we begin to prepare our hearts tonight, even tonight, Lord. I pray that you'd come before we finish this message, and I bet there would be a resounding amen. Uh, so we just thank you, Jesus, for your holy word. We pray for the hearts, our minds to be settled, that we would be expectant, excited. Lord, I truly believe 
God, that this book, the book of Leviticus, this is the last time we may read this together as a fellowship. Because, Lord, you may come again and we may never get back to this book. So, God, I want to make sure we get all the meat off the bone, Lord. I want us to hear everything your spirit has to say to us. I just pray and ask this for your people, for, for my heart, Lord, for the flock of God. I pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed. Amen, amen, all right. Yeah, it's something the Lord is really pressing on my heart. I don't know if you guys thought about it in this new year. Have you been following what's going on in the you know, prophetic updates? Have you been looking what's going on in Israel and Syria? You know, before the, obviously the government shut down in the holiday break, you know where the word holiday comes from, holy day. That's where we, we actually get our term. We're going to talk about that in chapter 23. But before we took um, vacation time, some of us, as we celebrated the birth of Christ, Trump came out and he said, you know, we're going to be pulling our troops out of Syria. And a lot of people didn't know how to respond to that. It's something that, that really, for me, has always been a question. Where's America when it comes to Ezekiel chapter 38? When we look at end times prophecy, where does America fall? I mean, we're the great cub in that way, right? We come out of England, the lion. Ha, where do we fit? We're a young country. And as I was thinking about that, and I've prayed about that for years, just where do we fit in that? Where do, I mean, you know, we were, we're a world power. How, how is it that we're not there? And then when I started to think about it, and I, and I, I, I read Trump's, um, you know, response to why he did that. He says, you know, we give, I don't know, $4 billion a year to Israel. We support Israel, you know, and uh, we send them planes every year. I don't know if you know that. We actually send them fighters and you know what they do? They take our technology out. <laughs> they rip our, and they put Israeli technology in and everything actually works. It's pretty awesome. So it's far more sophisticated because they're constantly in the air. You know, the, the strip of Israel is 15 miles by seven miles at the wide, you know, at the widest point. So, I mean, you're constantly in the air. There's no, I, there's no opportunity to take off and, and then land and take, you know, they're all in the air. And then as they come down, another plane goes up. That's 24 seven. They have planes in the air guarding against an attack because if somebody launches a missile bomb like that, there's not, there's not time to respond. You know, minutes. So as I, I've just been thinking about this. And then I saw our, our president. And he says, we're pulling out of Syria. And, and at first my reaction is like, why are you doing that? You're going to leave a, a, a vacuum of power in that area with Putin. But then I started thinking about Ezekiel 38 again. Well, isn't that the point? Because if any other power was there and they were able to save God, or, you know, they were able to save Israel, excuse me, lest it be God, what would we do? We'd point to, well, it was the United States of America. It was such and such nation. But if nobody's there to aid Israel at the moment, except for God himself, who can get all the glory? Who can, who is it? It's like it says in Ezekiel 38, that all the nations wonder. Because there was no answer. It was impossible, if not for God moving his hand. And I only say this as we open up and I look at this, because it really, we're living in the last days. I mean, you just can't make this up. When you begin to see these things, how we're pulling out, how, you know, we're still supporting Israel, we're seeing the things that are going on. But yet at the same time, Syria Look at the Golan Heights. That's the land bridge, Damascus. Remember Isaiah? We did that when we did our prophecy study. 17.1, so chapter 17, verse 1. Damascus being destroyed. 
We're looking to Damascus. We're waiting to see, is that going to be destroyed right there? And is that going to set that land bridge in for the Golan Heights in which from the north they'll come down and invade? Well, I think it's heating up. As we start this new year, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement for the kingdom of Christ. A lot of excitement for the kingdom of Christ. I hope you guys are are praying. We need to be praying for Israel. I hope you're praying for the United States of America. Because we have an opportunity to, again, I believe the Lord's going to do another revival. I just do. I believe we're going to see it in our days before that time when we hear the trump and in a twinkling of an eye. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 4 and 5. So with that, you're saying, how did we get into that from chapter 22 of Leviticus? And the reason I can say that is because it's Happy New Year. But God's already got me thinking, and I'm already on his timeline. I'm on the eschatological or eschatology timeline, already watching what God's doing and just sitting back and going, Lord, and yet you're confirming it, even in the chapters we're in, about the holiness and purity of what we're to be doing as we occupy till he comes. Now, granted, we're not under the law as we read here. But it's God's desire to create a children, a people, that would be holy and set apart, pure purity that they would desire. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with Jesus. And that's our passage tonight. So let's begin. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. Remember, that's the priests, right? That they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord just in case anybody was wondering. He says, I am the Lord. He says, you need to be dedicated unto me. Who are you dedicated unto tonight? Say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things, which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he is unclean, or his uncleanness is upon him, right? Why... Let's step back. Why is he bringing this out? Who who did this already? He's warning them about something we've already seen. We already read. Whose sons? He spoke to what? Moses saying, speak to Aaron and whose sons? Aaron's sons. His two eldest boys. What were their names? Nadab and Abihu. And they already did this very thing. They went into the Holy of Holies and they made a profane offering while they were unclean. They went in as though it was common. And there's nothing common about the place where God dwells. You are born again believers. There's nothing common where God dwells in your heart. You are holy and set apart. You've been given a new nature. You have victory in Christ. There's nothing common about you. If you weren't already unique, and some of you are like, oh yeah, you're unique, all right. No, I'm talking, you may be unique from a character or personality perspective, but you have Jesus Christ, the living God, living in your heart. There is nothing common about that. You know, when I think a happy new year, all right, that's who I am in Christ. I love it when he says, I'm a new creation. So he says, while he's unclean, his uncleanness is upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or as a discharge shall not eat of the holy offerings until he's clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse, dead person, remember, would have been unholy. They're not to touch those things. Or a man who has had an omission of semen, right? So sexual relations with his wife, something like that. We don't see anything ill of sin here that an offering was required. So we're not not looking at something inappropriate necessarily. 
Whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean, we read about that already in Leviticus, um, or any person by which he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean till evening. When does the start of the day in the Hebrew calendar? Evening at the start of the new day. Do you know what I love about this? Even in God's design, from even the very beginning, that we as sinners, we can come and we can blow it. But God's design was always to bring redemption. It was always a temporary, temporary position of uncleanness. And that by evening started a new day and we could be forgiven and repentant and we would receive his mercies new. He says, you not, shall not eat of the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. See, he gives us new mercies any day, every day. Look at verse seven. He reminds us, that's what I'm reminded of. And in Lamentations, we'll look at it in a minute. It just, it, it sticks with me. Um, it says, and when the sun goes down, again, speaking of the day, he shall be clean. What is it about the sun coming down that, that makes him clean? It's the start of a new day. It's the start of the new, just by the start of the new day, his mercies are made new for you and I. Every day is a new day. Today may be a difficult day for you. You might have had a heck of a day. You might be looking back and going, man alive, how did I survive today? I just want to go home. I'm just going to walk out of here, get in my car, and I'm going home right now. But God's not going to let you do that. He has a word for you. Because <laughs> his mercies are made new. Hold your finger here and turn to Lamentations verse, uh, chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. He says, and afterwards you may be able to eat that holy offering because it is food. That's the rest of verse 7. Look at Lamentations chapter 3 verse 23. I, I love this passage. Verses 22 in chapter 3 and verse 23. I, if you don't have this outlined in your Bible, please outline this. This is a great passage to write down and uh, maybe even put a sticky note next to your computer, or your Bible, or whatever you do to your devotion. I, I love this passage um, because it reminds me, no matter how difficult my day is, tomorrow's a new day and there's hope. But my hope is in Christ because the reason it's going to be a good day is because God's mercies are made new. There's an expectation there. Through, look what it says in verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Do you believe that? Friends, look at me with your eyes. Do you believe that? As, as, as terrible as things are going, as, as bad as things can be, and, and we, we just finished 2018, some of us had a difficult year. Some of us had a good year, but some of us had a difficult year. Maybe a difficult decade for some right? Do you believe through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed? That who is our sustainer? Christ Jesus. He will sustain us. He will keep us. Why? Because we serve a compassionate God. It says that his compassions fail not. That's the God you serve. That's the God I serve. That's the God that desires intimacy and relationship with you. He's not a God that's looking to slap you down. He's a God that wants to build you up. 
He wants his very best for you is yet to come. As we go into a new year, his best for you is yet to come. And someday when he has established his monarchy and we are with him during that thousand year reign of peace on earth through the millennial reign, I promise you, you won't be looking back and looking at the day you had yesterday or today and going, man, that was awful. You're going to be standing in the presence of God, worshiping, ministering to him. And this will all be a a memory. There'll be not a tear that will be in your eye. There won't be uh, any of us that need a cane, walker, these cheaters, gone. 33 years old. That's, that's how we'll come back, 33 years. Huh? How about that? A glorified body at 33 years. Paul actually talks about that. I believe it's in Corinthians. I could be wrong. There's Galatians. You'd be a Berean. Where he talks, do you remember that passage where he goes through and he talks about how um, when Christ was glorified, how he would, he would be that way? And it was, he was 33. I mean, I don't know if you can take it exactly that literal, but, but boy, when I was 33, everything worked. You know? <laughs> I didn't have a bum hip. My back was perfect. I could work 20 hours a day. And maybe sleep for an hour and, you know, eat for three, you know, or two, whatever I'd left. <laughs> but what does he say here? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, God. For today, for tomorrow, and for all of eternity. Great is thy faith. Don't we sing that song? Great is thy faithfulness. Oh. When we know the word of God in that psalm and we worship him and it brings, doesn't it just lift your countenance? You might have come here tonight. You might be tired. Boy, this starts a new year. Well, it's already starting out as a doozy. But didn't it just lift your countenance tonight? Just reading God's promises for you? that the best is yet to come, that, that he never fails that way, that he's trustworthy and he's reliable and, and he's going to finish what he begins. I'm excited. I'm ready for tomorrow morning because every day his mercies are made new. But why rush it away? Are there not mercies yet to be unfolded tonight? Isn't he giving us a day full of mercies? Sometimes I think we call it quits too soon. Sometimes our best time is on our knees with Jesus after the long, difficult day. And we're trying to make sense of what's happened. And we sit back and we just praise him. And we say, Lord, I ate two meals today. Three if we're lucky. Not lucky, but three if we're blessed and had time. Three meals today. I had shelter. I I, I didn't freeze. Oh, God, you are worthy. Great is thy faithfulness. You could turn back to Leviticus. This is what God is showing us. He says, and when the sun goes down, you shall be clean. And afterward, you may eat the holy offering. God still provides. He doesn't remove his provision because we blew it. He didn't remove our provision because we touched something unclean or for whatever reason, we defiled ourselves momentarily before we got right with God. He doesn't say, oh, you blew it. You know, I'm taking away the prize. I'm taking away the gift. No, he's a God of grace. You can't 
find the end of God's grace. There is no end of it. It's without end. It's, it's grace upon grace. And it's not tied to the behavior. Clearly here, we're reading that they were defiled, right? They were unclean. And yet, as he makes his mercies new, who made them new? God did. Maybe the man got right and repented and, oh, by the way, slept off his sin, so to speak, right? He got right with God that night. Okay, he wakes up in the morning or in the evening because Hebrew was in the evening. And his mercies were made new. And he gave him something to eat because it's food. And God provides for his children. Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die. Thereby, if they profane it, I, the Lord, sanctify them. We've been talking about that in Romans, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification. And God is the one that does them all. We receive it through Christ, as we've been reading, Romans chapter 4. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But, and I'm grateful for the buts, but if the priest buys a person, and you're like, whoa, people come to this passage in Scripture, and they get all wrecked. You see, the Bible connotes slavery, or the Bible, excuse me, is explaining that slavery is good. It's, it's, look, this is not slavery the way we understand slavery today. This is not the slavery that took part in the Civil War. This is not that slavery. If you, if you go back even in history or read any extra biblical evidence, what this meant is there was a debtor prison, or if there was debt that you owed and you were not able to pay it back, often you would go work your debt off. It wasn't to, like today where, what do you mean debt? I don't have debt. I put the credit card away. There is no debt. I see nothing. No, it doesn't work that way, right? The debt is still there. And he says that, you know, we're to be faithful to our debtors. We're to pay that debt by, by whatever way we can. We're to work it off. Even if it takes us 30 years, we, we're faithful. We give what we can give, right? We pay it off, Okay. But what we see here is that often the Hebrew, the priest, what they would do is they would take this person and they would treat them as part of family. They would actually become a family member. And as part of the family, the priest would care for or the family like that would care for all the meals, everything they needed, the clothing, their supplies would all be paid for by the master of that home. It doesn't in any way resemble anything that we learned about slavery from the Civil War. This is not what this is talking about. This was an opportunity for someone to make right their debt. And unfortunately, unlike today, back then, this was a very important thing. God says, if a man wasn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. If he was, the Proverbs says, if he can't bring a spoon up to his mouth, that's foreign today. I'm not saying we don't need help sometimes. We all, we all need help sometimes, don't we? I mean, I know I have. There's things that happen, and it's outside of my control. And, and I praise God that we have things like that to help somebody when they're down. They can get back up on their feet and get going, and I praise God for that. Not too many countries have that, you know, that kind of... They either have an extreme where it's all socialist, and that's causing bankruptcy around the world. Go check and read about how those countries are working out. By the way, trying to bring it to a country near you, America, uh, 
yeah, that how's that working for Greece and everywhere else, right? You know, Italy and other places. Bankruptcy, bankruptcy, bankruptcy. Um, but he says that if a person with his money, he may eat it, and one who is born in his house may eat his food. Of course, because he was a family member. He was taken in and cared for as a family, and that person was working off their debt. I find that honorable. I find that honorable. When, when you have a debt or something has to be paid and you, you desire in your heart to work it off, I find that honorable. That's righteous. That's right living. It may not always be with money. Maybe in this case, have, have you ever had someone mow your lawn and you wanted to return the favor and maybe you went over the next week and mowed their lawn? Well, I think that's honorable. Not because you had to, but because you wanted to. I like that. I like when we serve one another. God tells us we ought to be serving one another that way. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. Remember, God's been very clear about that. And under the law, we'll see provisions. Because why? He didn't want them to go and worship false idols. He was protecting. He was trying to protect his people because they were to be holy and set apart. Again, they were to be a witness to the Gentiles. Remember, that's, how, that's the whole point of why God's established it this way. He says there was nothing special particularly about Israel as a people group. It was one that he chose to whom to have favor on who he has favor on. He, he chose to have favor on them, and they became his chosen people. But it wasn't because they possessed something DNA-wise that made them different than any other people group. What made them chosen and holy and set apart was God. It's the same thing that makes us holy, chosen and set apart. It's God because he redeemed us and we're blood bought. And that's why we can celebrate. That's why we can find and rejoice. And so he says, look, and you know, if this if this priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, yeah, okay then, she may eat her father's food, food, but no outsider shall eat it. God provides for his own and he's providing for his own here. Certainly he provides for those that even aren't his own. We know that too. We've seen that happen. And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore the holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. God made a provision. If you take something that doesn't belong to you and it's specifically God's, and we've been reading this throughout Leviticus, that whenever it's God or it deals to something of the holy temple or in this case, um, the tabernacle or anything like that, if you take something or something was hurt or destroyed or something, you would always pay back 20% more, right? You're always to take one to pay back one-fifth more than what the original item was valued at. That, that's God's standard. They shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings, for I am the Lord that sanctifies them. This shows why this is special. This is special because God does the sanctification, and we shouldn't belittle that, or we shouldn't trample on that. As so though the work of God, the sanctification process in the believer, is something to be thought of as idle or just common. Again, it's not. God went to great lengths to do the work in us. And it's not common. It's special because God is the author of it. His fingerprints are on the believer. His fingerprints, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they're all over you. They're all over you. It's wonderful. And it's not common. And we shouldn't treat it as common. I mean, when you pray and you go into your prayer closet, I hope you don't treat that as common. 
even if you go down to your knees, I hope you don't just sort of take that for granted. I hope when you're, you're meeting with God, you realize the significance and the mighty power of prayer. It's, a, it's your weapon. It's your weapon God's given you. Prayer is. It's significant. I mean, he says, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's a mighty weapon. Well, let's look at about, you know, offerings accepted and not accepted here as we move into this section, verse 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel whose offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his free will offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering. He says in verse 19, you shall offer for your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. This became a big problem for Israel. This idea of not offering something that was defiled. You know, we can look at the last book in the New Testament. Turn to Malachi. Uh, let's look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. We can see through the prophet's heart as he's speaking. It's right before you get to the book of Matthew. He was the last prophet to speak for some 400 years through the intertestamental or quiet times, as we say, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Malachi, his name, just means my message. If you actually look at his name, that's what it means. It means my message. Um, this was a low time spiritually uh, before they entered into this intertestamental time around 433 BC. Um, you think about Nehemiah's return in Nehemiah chapter 13. You think of his contemporaries, Nahum, Habakkuk, you know, Steve just taught a few weeks back from Habakkuk. Um, Nahum, those were his contemporaries at the time. Well, Look what was going on. He was dealing with a problem of polluted offerings from the people in Israel. And what they were doing is they were bringing basically whatever was left over, not their first fruits. I would suggest we see the same thing today. I don't think there's anything new under the sun. I think often uh, today, sometimes, I'm not saying any of you, please don't misunderstand me, but I'm saying we can see people, I think generally we might have known person or two where we can think of God being sort of last on the list. You know, they've put their wives, their children, their everything else above God, uh, their time, their job, their money, their, you know, what, you know, God's, I believe in God, but he's don't, he's down here, you know? Well, we see Malachi, you know, he spoke about this. If you look at really beginning in verse six, Specifically seven and eight, but if you look at verse six, he says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. God, God is saying, You do these things. What about me? If then I am the father, where's my honor? Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and saying that to you? Would that not make you weep? I mean, I weep just studying it and, and thinking about, Lord, have I done that? Do I do that, Lord? Do I put anything in a position that, that only belongs to you? Am I truly holy and set apart? I mean, that's my heart's desire. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I pray to God I, I do that. He says, he says, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies, the most often used title in all of scripture. To you, priests who despise my name, he's talking to his priests, the sons of Aaron, the people we just read about. 
How many hundreds of years later? Yet you say, in what way have you despised or have we despised your name? They're challenging God. What do you mean, God? You say that, that, that you're our father, but we don't honor you. or we don't, we don't show reverence to you. What are you talking about? God says, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Let me show you what you're doing because you can hide nothing from God. And if there's anybody here tonight that that pricks your heart, look, this isn't me. You know, take this and receive this. A humble man, Proverbs 1, a humble man receives correction. A humble woman receives correction. Look, we all find ourselves in this place. Nobody's berating anybody or browbeating anybody here. We, we, look, I, I'm right out there with you. You know what I mean? We're all there. We don't want to be there. We want to be, we be, we be doing this right with Christ. He says, you offer defiled food. Isn't that the very thing? He says, bring me an offering without blemish. Remember the first of the fruits, perfect in choice. He says, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, in other words, you take your stock that, that is blind that may not be able to help you in the field, and that you offer to me, because it's of no use to you. And because it's of no use to you, then you offer that to me, to God? Is it not evil? He calls it right out. He lays it down hot. And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? <laughs> he says, offer it to your government. What do you think about that? Go offer it to your president. Go offer it to your magistrates. Go offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would, you, would he accept you favorably, says the Lord hosts? We could spend all time and the rest of our time in Malachi. Let's turn back. But do, do you, it's a, go home and devotionally read the rest of that. I'll tell you, I don't care who you are, that ought to wake you up. Are we giving our very best to God? Here we are in a new year, the, the you know, civil reset, right? We call it the civil reset, right? You know, there's new, two new years in the Hebrew calendar, right? 360 days, two of them, right? We have one right? They have, a, they have a civil reset, a civil, you know, Rosh Hashanah that way. They have a, they have a new year. And then they also have an, an Passover, right? And near that time, they have a, the month of Abib, the first that was the ordained religious new year, right? So they have two. We have one, right? We, we're hitting the reset button. Okay, Lord, it's a new year, 2019. We're starting over. Let's get it right, right? Well, isn't it fitting and timely? as we begin a new year, have we brought these things before God on our knees? Lord, is there something in our home? Is there something in our family, our wives, our, our children, our, our own hearts? Is there something that we've been holding back from you? I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I look at you. I don't have the answer. Go to God. Go to Jesus. He wants to commune with you. He wants to show you your heart. He'll be faithful if you ask him, Lord, examine my heart and show me if there's any impurity. Because I know we don't want it, right, guys? I, I, am I wrong in saying that? I know, I, I know almost all of you individually. I know I can pretty much speak for most. We don't want that, do we? Do we want that impurity in our heart? I, I don't think there's anybody. I know the church staff, the leadership, the people we have. I know we, we don't want that. We certainly don't want that as a church. We certainly don't want that as individuals. We, we, we know we were entrusted with a privilege to teach the word of God from this building, from this pulpit. 
We know the, the seriousness, the, the sobriety of that, the soberness of that. We need to examine our hearts, all of us, Lord. Are we offering you a free will offering? Notice it's a free will offering we're talking about. And this isn't a, a forced offering, right? He's talking about the free will. When you offer your free will, a male without blemish, from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. This is right about the time where most TV evangelists goes, give us your money. That's not what this passage says. So I'm not going to do that. God says, give of me your hearts. Give your heart fully and unconditionally to God. You see, if the pastor just taught that, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you, he says. If we got that right, churches don't need to have fundraisers. We don't need to turn around and browbeat people for their money. Because when the heart is right, people listen and hear God's will, and they do what they need to do, and it just all works. The Holy Spirit leads it doesn't need to be manipulated. It doesn't need to have striving attached to it. It doesn't need to have a, a financial campaign. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your half. Give, give God your very best. Your worship. When you stand here and you sing, give God your best in worship. When you do give in the God, but give God your best. When you pray, give God your best. When you walk out of your house in the morning and you walk into your office, give God your best at that office to honor your God by honoring your boss, by being faithful. How many of you go in and say, well, they got extra paper and pens right in the back. You get home and you pull out the pens and, well, they got a hundred of them there. It's in the storehouse. That's stealing. I don't want, you're laughing. I don't know how many of you are doing that right now. You sinner heathens. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I used to do the same thing. So no, <laughs> I, look, I'm being, I'm being funny, but we, we, we don't realize, are we doing those kind of things? That's stealing from your employer. Don't do that. You know, are you working a hard day? You, you, they, your employer pays you eight hours to be there, nine hours, whatever you're there, 10 hours. Are you giving them eight hours? Are you giving them everything you can, your employer? Well, I volunteer. Great, even better, because you're doing it all unto the Lord. Are you giving unto the Lord your very best? Are you handling the books well? In April, I think it's the 15th, some of us are going to be handling the books are we being faithful to pay our taxes? Are we being faithful to give unto Caesar? I'm not popular right now. I can see in your eyes. I'm not a popular man. I don't need to be. I just need to stand in the truth of God's word and be a, a, a reminder of what God desires in his heart for all of us. Because I promise you, if you do those things of holiness and you set yourself apart that way, God will honor it. If you need money for provisions, God's going to provide it. He will. He'll meet every one of your needs financially. 
I'm not saying that as a faith and prosperity gospel. I'm saying test God and you'll see. Test him and see how sweet and awesome our God is. You can't outgive God. You can't. Be faithful in all your dealings. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Offer God your best. Don't give a little bit of something. If you're going to do it, give all of yourself. Hold nothing back. I promise you, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you'll have no regrets because everything else is going to burn up, wood, hay, and stubble. And what remains when you can look in the eyes of your Lord, of your love, and you can look right in his eyes and you can... And you can bow down on your knees and you can just know that you know that you lived for God and you lived to glorify him. And that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Nothing else exists. When you can do that, you will understand that perfect peace, that perfect surrender that Jesus Christ wants to give all of us. It doesn't mean that we arrive and we get it right all the time. Look, I can be there momentarily and I can quickly be snatched back by a problem in the home or wherever. We're all dealing with that. But God wants to give us his peace. It, it, it's awesome when we do it his way. He says, and whoever offers a sacrifice of peace offering, remember the peace offering in Leviticus in the first five chapters? Do you remember when we got to the peace offering? What kind of offering? That's an interesting offering, right? So that we have mercy, we have, we have peace with, with God like that. To the Lord, to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or sheep, it must be perfect. Is your offering perfect? Is it? Is your free will offering? Do you give God your heart? Is it perfect? I'm not talking about your heart perfect. It's your intention in your heart, the motive of the heart. Because that's what he looks upon. He looks upon the motive of the heart. Matthew chapter five and six. To be accepted, there shall be no defect in it. And I believe this was a foreshadowing to the one perfect sacrifice, Christ Jesus, where we know for a fact he gave it all, didn't he? It was a perfect sacrifice. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord. In other words, your second, third, fourth best. God's not interested. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too short or too long, you may offer a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut. Isn't it sad that he knows the depravity of man? that he actually has to write this kind of detail in his word because he knows our nature and our flesh that we will try to short circuit it. Well, God, I brought you. He's only got three legs. Hey, it's better than not having any. He knows the heart. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us that you had to do this, but thank you that you loved us so much that you did, that you did. You shall not offer the Lord what is bruised or crushed, torn or cut, nor shall you make an offering in the land. For the foreigner's hand shall you off, nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as bread of your God, because their corruption is in them. That's interesting, isn't it? I once heard a Calvary Chapel senior pastor in this state had a dealing with a situation. A gentleman came in one day. He says, look, I've been a sinner. I've been a bad guy. I've been living this way for a long time. 
I made a lot of money in things I shouldn't have done. This is back in the days when you had the mafia and everything like that. And he says, look, you know, um, I want to get right with God. He proceeds to open his briefcase. True story. At least a million dollars in there in cash. Just opens it right in front of the pastor. He says, man, I want to get right with God. And he pushes it. And he says, brother, you can get right with God by repenting and asking him to be your Lord and Savior. That's not yours to give. That man was so shocked that this pastor in Calvary Chapel, that he would literally take that and he would close the briefcase, he would lock it, and he gave it right back and says, no, I can't take an offering unto the Lord from blood money, what was used because of a hit or a murder. I can't take it. It matters. It matters. That guy's testimony, I know who he is, that guy's testimony is beautiful. Not that they didn't, and by the way, during that time, they were having some financial trouble because they had just moved into a new building and the Lord had blessed them with the super, but they didn't have any of the monies to buy the chair, to, to finish the building, to even bring it up to code. 20 years ago, 15 years ago. But he trusted God. He didn't take the easy way out. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's God's warning. It's because the corruption, it, the defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when a bull or sheep or a goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother and from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Whether there's a cow or you, do not kill both her or her young on the same day. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it of your own free will. On that same day it shall be eaten. You shall leave none of it till morning. I am the Lord. Now, this is interesting in verse 31. Obviously, we know who he is. He says, I am the Lord. But we get, a, we get some, some information. It's who he is and what he does and what he has. Those are the three things he answers for us in these two verses. It's who he is what he does, and what he has. If I've got that in the right order. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane, that's who he is. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That's what he does. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. It's what he has done also. He brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's beautiful. Now, as we go into chapter 23 with our remaining time tonight, we should get through at least half, if not all, of chapter 23. We're going to be going into the feasts. Now, you have to remember, up until, what is it, 701 B.C., you go back and look at this historically. I'm, I'm doing this and reciting this from memory. But I think it's about 701 B.C. Before that time, every single calendar was set to 360 days. There was no 365 days. It was all 360 days. Calendars mattered. Every calendar, by the way, not just the Hebrew calendar. All calendars were 360 days. Calendars matter. We read in the New Testament, God tells us why he gave us stars and everything else. In Genesis, we read it. He said that there are seasons. Why were all these things given to us? As a sign that we may be able to recognize the times, that we would know the seasons. 
which is going to lead to why many think when Christ returns, it'll be in a, maybe a certain season or time because there could be a pattern. We're going to look at that right now. And, and maybe you've heard about this before, but you don't know how we arrive at that scripturally or biblically. We're going to go through this tonight. So if you got your pen, you have your pen handy and your notebook. Because God lays it out. God has a pattern. He's, he's, he's done that. Not to say that he's going to follow. He, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He can go, nope, go back to go, you know, collect $200. He can do whatever he wants to do it, right? Monopoly talk. But he says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation. Circle that word. That's important. That word convocation, that means a sacred assembly, a gathering, a sacred assembly. It also connotes this idea of a rehearsing. This is where we get that idea that he's rehearsing what has been and what will be. And we see that prophetically already fulfilled through his death and through his resurrection. Because this happened on feast days. So there were like rehearsals. And that's what that word can mean um, in the Hebrew. This idea of convocation. It's, it's, it's a sacred assembly. Assembling that way. He says, are my feasts. And this is where we get this idea, year of feast. This, this word I mentioned earlier in my introduction. Holiday. It comes from the word or the idea of holy day. Comes from this passage, this chapter, chapter 3. How it was a holy year, holy days. Things God had laid out for us. Well, for the Hebrews at the time under the 360-day calendar. All right, he begins with the first one. And this is not necessarily a feast day, but he begins with this. It's the Sabbath or Shabbat, right? And what was it to celebrate? What, what, is the, what does the Sabbath celebrate? Well, at least then, not so much now as we're under it, but what, is it, what did it celebrate then? What was the idea? It was celebrating what? When was the Sabbath or the, the idea of it introduced? God worked for six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested, right? It wasn't man that worked for six days. Man was created on day six, right? And what? We were like, hey, awesome. But God rested on day seven. God doesn't grow tired. He doesn't sleep. It wasn't a rest. It's a fellowship. It's a fellowship. It's everything it always points to in scripture. It wasn't a rest the way that we understand. God wasn't weary. God doesn't grow weary. We grow weary. We, a lot of times, take our Shabbat, or if you go over to Israel, they celebrate the Shabbat on what day? Saturday. And when they celebrate the Shabbat on Saturday, what do they do? They, if you're an uh, Orthodox Jew, you don't ride in a car. After, remember, their day begins at night, so not that evening. They don't turn around. They're not driving in cars. They actually take their hot pot. Their, um, you guys had it in soup tonight. What do you call it? The crock pot. Thank you. I should have looked at my wife. The crock pot, the, 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 she knows the names of these things. She, you know, you turn it on and they would already have it on. And everything that was set for what they were going to eat on the Sabbath, because they weren't touching anything or cooking, because if they were creating, like, they wouldn't even, that's why they wouldn't drive a car. Because if you drive a car, it's a combustion engine. What's combustion engine create? Well, you have an exhaust and it comes into the air in the atmosphere. You're creating something. They took it to the nth degree. That's not what the word of God was talking about. But, but that's what they were doing as Orthodox Jews. They started taking all these things. So if you'd go over there, and typically what they would do is they would come out on their patio or their portico, and they would sit there, and they would fellowship. It's a day of fellowship. As a family, as friends, people come over, they walk, your neighbor, and you sit down, and a lot of times they'll look over Jerusalem, and they'll just admire it, and they'll talk with their children about holy things, 
They'll begin to read scripture or they'll, they'll just spend time talking about, well, you know, our father Abraham, such and such, such and such. And they begin to take that time of rest to pour in to that next generation and themselves to encourage each other. If you get a chance to go over to Israel and you're there for a Shabbat and you get to go into the actual town at the time, they'll welcome you. Most of the time, they're, they're open to that. They'll let you come in and, and Shabbat, you know, the, right? and it's a conversation. It's a talk. Don't pull out video games. Don't pull out your phone. You just sit there. And, you know, you can have a very pleasant conversation with them about God. And all day, all day they'll talk about it. And so we see that it was always designed as a solemn rest, but this rest was meant to be for fellowship because originally in the garden, what happened? We had fellowship with God. That was our Shabbath. That was our rest. That's what we did. During that day of rest, day six, we were created. Day seven begins. It wasn't like man was just sitting on the ground going, what do I do? He was fellowshipping with God. And then after that, shortly began the naming of the animals and everything else that he did. And, and then he tended the garden, but then he was still to do what? He was to take a day and not tend the garden, to not work. And what was he to do? Fellowship with God. But, but God said that he walked with him in the midst of the cool of the day, hand in hand. He would walk with God. In that regard, our Sabbath is still present. But who's the Lord of that Sabbath? Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. That's why it doesn't have to be on a particular day. The idea behind it, though, is a consecrated heart that we need to make not only time, but we need to be consecrated to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. So anyway, this is, it's to remember creation. It's to celebrate creation. That's, that's what this was. Six days they would work would be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath, solemn rest, a holy convocation, assembly or gathering together. You shall do no work on it. It's the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Again, God rested, not man, right? It's a day of fellowship with God. It's to remember the creation. Maybe even redemption, Right? So then let's look at the next one. What's the next one? We're going to read about the Passover, right? And the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Eventually, they'll become one. Originally, they started out as separate in two. So as we read here, these are the feasts of the Lord. Holy convocation, assembly together, right? Time to gather. Which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Now, first question for you. Is this a Levitical feast? We kind of covered this already on Sunday when we were in the book of Romans. Is Passover a Levitical feast? No, it is not. It was given before the law. It was given before the law, right? It was given when they were in Egypt, before they even had the law, 400 years plus, right? So it says that they're together. Now, what are they going to do here? Well, let's look. On the 14th day of the first month, remember, this represented sort of their religious new year, if I can say it that way. At the twilight is the Lord's Passover, reminding them of his being their deliverer. He's our deliverer, right? And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Later on, this again becomes combined, but at this time it was separated. To the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. This is really important. What does sin represent in the Bible? Leaven. And what does leaven represent? Sin, Right? Why? Because a little leaven spoils the lump. Is God selling us a little sin spoils the lump? What comes first here? 
in the order of operation, even how God saved you and I? Did he turn around and cleanse us of all our sin and all our addiction and everything that we had a problem with before he Passovered with us before he delivered us? Or did he deliver us first? And then he began to clean out the house. Notice the order here. So often with our friends and family, we expect the exact opposite. We see somebody we love and we're like, get it together. What's going on? You're struggling with this addiction. Blah, 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 blah. You need to, well, wait a minute. Until they're born again believers in Christ, they're, they're doing this in their own efforts, in their own striving. We were no different. And it's once God redeems us and sets us free, forgives us, and you know, he begins the healing process in us, the repentance, that he begins to show us through sanctification. He begins to clean that house. And he, what's he doing? He's cleaning out the leaven. But it was the Passover, then the feast of unleavened bread. It's, I, I say this because so many people reverse it. You see the application of what I'm speaking about, right? Spiritually. So many people reverse it today. Don't do that. We cheat God when we do that. We, we cheat the person that we're ministering to when we do that. Don't, don't do that. I, I don't want to do that. He says, the Lord seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation, again, a, a gathering. You shall not do no customary, excuse me, you shall do no customary work on that or on it, right? And again, this is the first of the mandatory feasts. But you shall offer an offering made of fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Now I have a question. We're going to read about all these other feasts, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles, are all these mandatory feasts? Turn into, <laughs> you're looking at me. Turn in Deuteronomy. Look at verse, chapter 16, verse 16. These are the mandatory feasts. Three times a year, all your males, he says three, he doesn't say seven. Three are mandatory. Three times a year, all your males shall appear, that's Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at what? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. We just read about that one. We're going to talk about the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to his blessings of the Lord God which he has given to you. So how many are required? How many are mandatory? Three. Three we see here we learn, right? And we just talked about the three that were. Let's talk about the Feast of First Fruits, right? The Feast of First Fruits. So we already covered the unleavened bread, right? That's one of the first ones. The Feast of Weeks or what we call Pentecost, that'll begin in verse 15. That'll be the second mandatory one. But this one was not mandatory. But it's interesting. It's very interesting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land in which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf. You remember what that sheaf was? The first crop that would grow in, that they would take? Barley. That's correct. It's barley. Of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. It was the first one to come in. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. And on the day after the Sabbath, 
Now, this is interesting. What's the Sabbath day in the Hebrew calendar? Saturday. What's the day after the Sabbath? Sunday. So this is on a Sunday. We see that the Feast of First Fruits was practiced. The priest shall wave it, and you shall offer it on that day when you wave the sheep, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. What happened on that day? Two or how many thousands of years later? We celebrate it. So let's, let's back up. When did Jesus Christ, when was he crucified? What Passover, or what feast? Passover. Yep, way to go. You blew it. No, uh, right? Passover. You knew that because we've read the gospel in the New Testament. What feast did Jesus resurrect or arise from? Because it was three days later. We just read about Passover. We just read about first fruits. Because he was on Saturday, and then what happened? Sunday, Monday. So we believe he rose on Sunday, right? It was the it was the first fruits. This is when Jesus rises. So the first feast, the Passover, we see that he was crucified, or Jesus died. The next feast, now you see why we're building a pattern. This is what we talk about when we see the pattern and why we believe it'll come on the next feast day. Many, many people think it will happen this way. Because the first feast of unleavened bread... Christ dies. The second feast of first fruits, Christ rises from the dead. He's resurrected. You with me? Okay, let's let's keep going and then we're going to get to the feast of Pentecost and we're going to we're going to build which is the the church. The first feast where the church is created. You starting to see the pattern? You starting to see this? And think of the chronology after Acts. You know, Acts chapter 1. Okay. So Let's finish up here. Um, so you would take this burnt offering before the Lord. They would basically put it at, um, before the table of incense. This is where you would take it. It's a grain offering. It shall be two-tenths of an ephah of a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be a wine, one-fourth of a hin. Right? Now, where else do we see that Christ is told that he's the first fruits? Glad you asked. Write this down and you can go back and look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. He's actually called the first fruits. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. He's actually called this. That's what I love. The the Lord's already connected it. I mean, if we didn't connect it already with the pattern that we're going through and seeing this, Paul did through Corinthians. He already connected us as he is that. He is the, the first fruit. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain, nor fresh grain, until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling. Notice with me, out of all of these feasts, this is the only one without a sin offering required. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ was that sin offering that was paid on Calvary. Look at it yourself. Look in your Bible. You think he's trying to tell us something? I love our Lord. He's so good. He's, I'm wrecked. Verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day of the Sabbath, from that day, speaking of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, right? This is the second mandatory feast. From that day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought forth the sheaf, 
of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. What's he saying? Seven weeks, if you're tracking. Count 50 days. This is how we get the name Pentecost. If you wondered how we came across that name, and we don't call it the Feast of Weeks, because what does 50? It's Penta. Pentecost. That's where we come up with the name. That's where we got the name. Is the day after the seventh Sabbath, and you shall, again, offer a new grain offering to the Lord. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? It was the birth of the church. Now, I want you to know something, notice something with me that we're going to read in verse 17 here, but I just wanted to prepare you for it before we get it. There's going to be a word leaven in there. What did we say leaven represents in the Bible? Sin. And every time leaven's used, it's usually used in a negative context, right? But this passage, he says, you shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two tenths of ephod. They shall be a fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven. This is the only ordained offering of leavened bread that you will see in the Bible. The only one. These, or they, are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs for the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with the grain offering and the drink offering, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs. See, here we again, we see the sacrifices that are now put there. Oh. Who was our sacrifice for the church? Because we needed one. Jesus Christ. Our first fruit. Two lambs of the first year in sacrifice of a peace offering. Peace offering established what again? What was the peace offering for? Fellowship. Remember that? We covered that in the first few chapters of Leviticus. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering. So do you see this? He's got the first fruits. He's waving and he's going, hey, I'm talking to you, church. This is what he's saying to us. Pay attention, right? Jesus, right? Who's the first fruits? You need him. He's the way. Before the Lord with the two lambs. <laughs> just in case you didn't know he was the lamb of God who take away the sins of the world. Just, just in case that skipped you. Uh, <laughs> I say this because it just wrecks me. I mean, I mean, do you see the picture and the foreshadowing here? Uh, they shall be a holy unto the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on that same day. Again, I don't think this is, conse- um, what's the word I'm looking for? Coincidence. Uh, timing and it's predictive. It's timing and it's predictive so far. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generation. When you reap the harvest of your land, in other words, when the season finishes, right? You shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Okay. What book was read on the day of Pentecost under Jewish tradition? The book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is being read every single Pentecost. And as you read the book, there has a gentleman by in that book. Do you know what his name is? He's the kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz. You also have a woman that is going and she happens to be noticed by the kinsman redeemer while she's doing what? 
gleaning from what was being left in the field. Now let's look back at verse 22 again. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather any of the gleaning from your harvest. The last gleanings, that which remains. I wonder when we give the gospel here and we see people, we just had Sunday, somebody accept Jesus Christ. When they accept Christ and they raise their hand, I wonder, Lord, is this the last gleanings? Is this the last gleanings? Are we going home? Have you ever wondered that when you see many get saved? And you, I wonder, is these the last thing? But what is he saying? He says, you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And it just reminds me, I mean, they were reading the book of Ruth, a kinsman redeemer. They needed, she needed someone to redeem her. And Boaz filled that point. But who was Boaz pointing in the book? He's a typology. Who was he pointing to? Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Our Father who has redeemed us. Now, again, this could all be coincidence. But if that wasn't enough, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. You, you need to be Bereans. And I'm not telling you you got to believe the, the, the timing or the predictive coincidence of this. But boy, oh boy, I believe it. And it's, it's certainly very interesting. Because remember, this is all backing into a calendar. This is all based on a Hebrew calendar. 360 days. We're making our way. Now, from this last passage in verse 22, how many months before the Feast of Trumpets begins? Four. Roughly four months. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the next feast. And there's a four-month break. Roughly. Speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Now, what does that word convocation mean again? It can mean a gathering. It can also mean a rehearsal. If we have seen this happen and God was showing us the rehearsal of what would be what is the next thing that we're waiting for as born-again believers, pre-tribulationists? What are we waiting for? The harpazo, the rapture of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians, it says that it will begin with the what? The trump sounds. Now, what is this word trump? What, what, what is this word, right? Shofar. I have one in my office, if you haven't seen it. It's from Israel. It's a shofar. He's showing us, he's saying, when that trump sounds. So here's my question. It could be just coincidence. But every one of these feasts so far has been fulfilled, hasn't it? And the next one that hasn't been fulfilled yet is what? The Feast of Trumps. Now, I don't know. I'm not saying God's got to do it this way. Please, I'm not giving any times or dates or any of that nonsense. But boy, it's coincidental. Boy, it's coincidental. And oh, by the way, what month? Somewhere between, on the Hebrew calendar, our calendars, we would understand and reconcile it together, would be September, October. When I get to September, October of every year, man, I'm like, all right, we get to November. I'm like, Lord, I hope I'm not here for Christmas. You know, you don't want to be here for Christmas either if you hear the trump sound, right? You don't want to be one of those left behind, right? You want, to, you want to be looking down from the mezzanines, man, right? But the trump, this is where it comes from. This is where we get this idea. 
Because it's the next feast that's to be fulfilled. I don't know. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I don't know. But boy, it's interesting. I don't want you going out, oh, Pastor Matt saying it's September, October of 2019. Here it comes. No, please don't do that. I'm not saying that. Just one more time. I'm not saying that, right? But it's interesting. And I'm not saying that every September, October, you got to be like me and go, are we going, Lord? You may. But I'm not saying that you will be that way. Because can God come at any time? He said yes. And he said to be ready and expectant. That's why we can't listen to that nonsense. Well, he's going to come, you know, this date in 2019 because I figured this out mathematically and I twirled this thing and it showed me. Those are charlatans. Those are charlatans. Stay away from them when they try to, even the blood, all that nonsense. Stay away from that nonsense. God's given us a sword. We need to occupy. We need to be ready. I think we got time for one more, and I think we, uh, we ought to call it uh, for tonight, uh, for our time here. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, now, this is to me interesting. What, what, what feast is this, if you want to call it that? It's the Day of Atonement. It's surprising. This is not a mandatory feast. Isn't that surprising? The Day of Atonement? You would think that would be a mandatory feast. The next mandatory feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, right? We saw the, the, the Feast of Unleavened, right? Unleavened bread, right? The second feast is the Feast of Weeks, and the third one is the Feast of the Tabernacle or Booths. Those are the three. So technically, the Day of Atonement wasn't a mandatory feast. I always found that interesting. And the Lord, just free information. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and it shall afflict. This idea of afflict is broken, a brokenness. Afflict your souls and offer an offering made up by fire to the Lord. Now, this idea of fasting came later on. Initially, it didn't call for fasting, but they did adopt fasting as part of this tradition, uh, the Orthodox Jews. They would mourn and fast. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted or broken in soul on that same day shall be cut cut off from his people. This is serious stuff. And any person who does not, or who does any work, excuse me, on that same day, that person I will destroy from his, his, among his people. Why? Because there's to be no human effort. What was the day of atonement to handle? Again, it was tied to, you know, in some sense, repentance and salvation to some extent, to atone for your sin, to be right with God. Once again, it's not contradictory to any other part of Scripture. It's no human effort. We need to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. So if you want to call that human effort, okay. But there's no work-based mentality to do it. We've been talking about that in the book of Romans. God is so gentle with us. Um, And I think that's because he doesn't want us to confuse the glory of God. Because if we think we can do it, we start to look to ourselves and puff ourselves up. But when we realize that we can't save ourselves and we know Christ can and him alone, well, then we want to worship him and we want to be obedient to him because he's worthy and he's the only one that can save us from our sin. And then we look to do the things that James says that faith without works is dead, that it it should produce works, that should produce the right behavior in us, right? It's the litmus test. You know, if you're saved and you believe you're saved, but you're all about you, you might want to ask the question, you know, am I, who am, I, who am I really saved? Am I really believing in Christ? Am I really being obedient to what he said, being others focused? Do I have that down? You know, I, I certainly would never question anybody's salvation, nor should you. We're not to judge the heart, but we can be fruit inspectors. 
right? And, and in that regard, we want to be encouragers. We don't ever want to come up to somebody and go, well, how dare you? You're acting like you're saved. And don't do that. I've heard people at dinner tables or other conversations, don't, that's never a place for us. Let, let the, you know, pray. Let the Lord Jesus handle that. Um, better let, let God, um, who's the knower of the heart. But we read here that uh, you shall no, do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generation and all your dwellings. It shall be, a, be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. Once again, a fellow time of fellowship. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month and evening. From that evening evening, you shall celebrate the Sabbath. So uh, please go ahead and read ahead. I'd read uh, all of chapter 24. It's not a large chapter. I'd read chapter 25. That is a pretty large chapter. That in itself will probably get us to our time next week. Um, and then we'll have one more Wednesday uh, where we'll finish chapter 26 and 27. And we'll be done with the book of Leviticus already. Hard to believe. Quick, huh? And then we'll be into the book of Numbers. Now remember, halfway through the book of Numbers up to chapter 10, I believe, roughly, where are they still? Mount Sinai. Don't forget that. They haven't even gone into the wilderness of Paran yet. They haven't gone anywhere. They're still sitting in Sinai. So it's been a good study, hasn't it, so far in the book of Leviticus? It's been rich. It's been rich pointing to the typology, the foreshadowing of Christ. I don't know how anybody could read this book, the book of Leviticus, and not see Jesus Christ through the whole thing. It, it amazes me. If our eyes are open and uh, we're listening to what the Spirit has to say, oh my well, let's pray and let's ask. Maybe there's somebody here the, tonight or maybe there's somebody that hasn't seen Christ through this. Let's not make assumptions. Let's pray for that person. How's that sound? Father God, we come before you. We thank you again, Jesus, for your word. We thank you for your holiness. God, we thank you for your perfect plan, the way that you, Lord Jesus, uh, you move on the hearts of your people, God. I, I, as I was reading and we, we looked here, God, just even the pattern that you showed here, Lord, the timing and the... I don't know, predictive coincidence, Lord, if I can say it that way. God, it points to the next thing that we're all waiting for, Jesus, that our hope is in, and that is in the rapture of the church, to move from the church age, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, Maranatha, as John prayed, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, we're ready. All of us here tonight, God, if, if we would have been raptured before this service would have ended, your entire flock here would have clapped, Lord God. I... There's nothing like having a Bible study with you, Jesus, as you'll open the scriptures and present us the truth from your lips because it's your word. God, how we long for that day where we'll sit with you and feast on your word, Lord, and your fellowship. So God, I pray our hearts would be right. I pray again, as we said, Lord, if there's somebody that, Lord, that doesn't know you, doesn't know Jesus, God, I pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation they would receive you as Lord and Savior. They'd make that profession of faith. And if they do, God, I, I pray, Lord, you'd move them to call this church, that we would give them a Bible. We'd teach them about discipleship as you've commanded us in your word. God, we'd love them and welcome them into the kingdom. We'd love them like our own blood, Lord, because we are all your children and we'll be together forever. And God, we want to behave like it. We want to behave like family. We don't want to play church, Lord. We don't want to play Christian in this new year. The past is the past and it's gone. You've made all things new. Let this be a glorious year in you, Jesus. A year where we celebrate your name above all names. Our Lord, our God, our everything.
Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to come here and worship. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. Happy New Year. And we'll come next week and we'll pick up with the feasts and we'll get rolling again.